Welcome to In the Arena, a show where entrepreneurs and leaders take us behind the headlines and into the biggest crises of their careers and lives and how they made it to the other side. I'm Jesse Janae, a startup founder and your host. Today on In the Arena, we're, pardon the pun, running straight into the fire with Orin Axe, who led marketing of the Fire Festival via Jerry Media. I'm also joined by co-host Maddie Moe, tech founder and artist popularly known as the most famous artist. Many business ventures fail, but few strand hundreds of people on an island, land their founder in jail, and get permanently lodged into popular culture as an emblem of failure itself. The Firefest seems to be in a class of its own. With a failure this famous, and frankly, this parodied, it's nearly impossible to determine fact from fiction. That's why Oren's first-hand account is so riveting. Hearing what it was actually like to earnestly work on promoting Firefest and being at the event itself. I look at my boss and I just said, I said something to him. I was like, this can't be it. And he looks at me and, and this was the second that I was like, we're fucked. And this was like the Steve Jobs social distortion field. He's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, this is awesome. This looks like some NASA space Mars cool futuristic vibe. And I was like, he drank the Kool-Aid. He's out. He's done. Like, I'm, I'm the only one who sees what's right. Right. Like you feel all of a sudden, like you're with an alien. Yeah. Like you, like all of a sudden, like you thought you were with a human. I mean, you like cannot communicate because you're like, I see like my eyes are open. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow. Personally though, hearing how unclear it was that this famous disaster was a disaster up until the final moments was just really fascinating. A good reminder about how thick the fog of war or crisis can really be. Today, we're incredibly lucky to have Oren Axe, who marketed Firefest as part of Jerry Media with us. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. We also have a special co-host today and a great friend of mine, Maddie Moe, who, through his prolific career as an artist, made headlines, actually, for putting on a fake Firefest as satire in Los Angeles. And that's how you two became acquainted, right? Yeah, we... We became kind of uh, internet friends through through Maddie Moe's uh, antics. <laughs> antics. That's a good way of putting it. So actually, before we jump into the real thing with Oren, um, Maddie, can you just tell us what even is a fake Firefest so that we have like a micro background on what that means before we do this whole conversation? Sure. So following the Firefest around 2019, the Hulu and Netflix documentaries dropped covering the Firefest. And I tried to create a, a space that highlighted the most ludicrous moments of the fest. I rented pigs. I brought in a ton of sand. I had the cheese sandwiches, a fake private jet, Billy in a jailhouse suit. Um, what I saw was a cultural moment unfolding. And it was so absurd that I had to comment because my job as an artist is to reflect society back on itself. And that's how Orin and I came into contact. Wow. Um, and Orin, did you just see that online? Like how did... Yeah, I never attended. I was oh, living man. abroad you at missed, the time. You so. missed out. 
I missed out, but I also went to a fake, fake fire festival of my own, which is the real one, if you want to call it real. But yeah. <laughs> so with that, l- let's actually, um, let's make you relive it <laughs> just as our, as our kickoff here. But uh, you actually go, you're, you're working on the event and we'll cover more of that um, at marketing and, and doing a lot on digital, but you land, you actually physically go, you land on Great mm-hmm. Eczema and you, it seems like you're part of some of the earlier planes where you get rerouted to a restaurant of sorts to sort of, um, I don't know, I, I mean, you tell me as a bit of a waiting zone, but just explain a little bit of the step-by-step of you get there, you end up at that place. And when you really starts hitting you that this isn't even going to happen, like it's not even a real festival at a certain point. Yeah. So I was supposed to be there for about three weeks. So kind of a few days before weekend one stayed midweek weekend two, and then post festival I was in charge of creating like a little um, command center for like social media and content production, which as we were leading up, I realized I couldn't even get walkie talkies or cars or anything. So we didn't even know how we were going to operate this whole command center because people would have to have live footage, but also be, you know, creating stuff and giving us hard drives from one side of the festival and bring it to the command center. And so nothing actually made sense, but we were like, you know, we'll figure it out on the ground. Um, so we left New York, me and my team, like a small team. Another part of the team was going to come uh, closer to the festival and uh, second weekend as well, another group of my team. So we get on board to Miami. We took a regular flight. Um, in Miami, we rerouted to like the private jet, you know, smaller airport nearby which we didn't get on a private jet. It was just like a smaller airplane, uh, which at first it was like, I still haven't been on that private jet experience that they offered everybody. And I was like, I thought we were going to get it, but we didn't. So we we got on the plane with a bunch of random people, which again, weren't even VIPs. They were just like uh, some performers, like, you know, people who are going to be dancers and just really random. Like nobody there made any sense, but we get on this plane uh, we land, you know, everything's looking picturesque. It's starting to kind of feel very real. Um, and all my doubts that I had prior kind of felt like this was happening. So I'm like, cool, this is this is about to be like a really luxe moment. And we're about to land in like a beautiful, you know, place in the Bahamas. We get there. There's like a photo of me that was originally the Netflix like icon on when you're searching for the film. And it was also like the, uh, like the header at the, the LA Times of me and my friend Evan, uh, ex-friend, I guess now. But we're taking like a selfie in front of the private jet. And so everything's, you know, we're just feeling ourselves. We get into the terminal where we're, you know, it's literally the size of like one little house. Um, we go through immigration, whatever, pop out of... and. Um, everybody who came with us is is supposed to go to some house, different houses. And everybody has these very random uh, coordinates. They're like, oh, we're going to Blue House. Oh, we're going to like Jake's house. Like there are all these like weird names. And we're like, we didn't actually get, you know, we didn't, nobody actually told us. We didn't think twice of where we're going. So we're starting to try to contact everybody we know with the fire team. Nobody's picking up. Again, everything just, 
didn't register. The, the writing was on the wall, but we just kind of looked at it as like, hmm, that's weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. We were there, I think, two or three days, two, two or three days before the, the festival. And then we finally realized we're all alone at this airport. It's literally shut down almost because no other flights are coming in at this hour um, on this day. So parking lot's empty. We're like, who's picking us up? What is going on here? So my boss at the time was like, you know what? Let's just hitchhike. So from the airport to the road is maybe a hundred feet. So we just walked, stuck our thumb out. Uh, we get into like a minivan by a, like a fisherman picked us up. His car is just packed with gear. And there's like a, in the Hulu documentary, it ends with me. It like says like where everybody ended up. It says like, or started his own agency, blah, blah, blah. And you see me with like my head sticking out of a window and I'm like taking a selfie and that's out of this like fisherman's car. And he takes us to what we thought was the house we were staying in. We get there. We like open the door. We walk in. We start like choosing rooms. We're like, okay, this is nice. And then we get word that it's not the house. And we just literally broke into somebody's vacation home. So we quickly just (laughs) scrambled out of there, get back on the road, start start hitchhiking again. Because there's no cars available um, on the island. Like the they, there was like a regatta or something in the north of the island. The regatta, that was yeah, like the island yeah, had it was very separate. busy. So there were no cars available. Um, even when we needed cars to get to and fro from that command center I mentioned, we knew there were n- no cars. So, anyways, we hitchhiked a second house. Same scenario. We walked in, wasn't the right house. Third house, we finally realized. I think. I think the third house, it like took us many times, but we finally arrived at this like really rundown house. No refrigeration, <laughs> so no like, air conditioning, no electricity. The are like going downhill. <laughs> yeah, the first one was real nice and they just kind of, yeah. Also the entrance was like all these trees that had no leaves. So it kind of looks like, very spooky. It looked like a haunted house. Um, but the, the beach in front of it was honestly one of the best I've ever seen. So we were like, okay, it's fine. And then eventually we we were like, making contact with the fire team. Billy was staying at some Lux hotel uh, across the street from, so there were Sandals hotel and then another really fancy hotel uh, right across the street from where fire was supposed to be. And so we got the coordinates and we were like, let's just figure it out. We'll hitchhike and we get, you know, we get another hit uh, car. Someone took us to this hotel. We get in you know, the fire team is like so excited to see us. It's, it's kind of nightfall at this point. So they're like, let's have dinner. Let's have champagne. Let's celebrate. So I'm wow. like, fuck it. Let, let's get champagne. I'm ordering a lobster. I'm like, it's, you know. Like, the it's fire on them. team is like in a good they've been mood. Living there. Like, like that's, yeah. But they, but I think like. Yeah, as they've a been detail, living in a fancy hotel. They're feeling good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like their their little bubble that they've been in for like a few weeks was just at a fancy hotel. Yeah. Cracks weren't showing at all. Like their no, demeanor was positive and they were thinking like everything was going through. Nothing. Wow. They literally were like, let's pop champagne. Wow. We're wow. We're doing okay. this massive cool thing. So I'm like. We're like, we're about to yeah. do it. And we're like yeah. 24 yeah. hours away from implosion at this point. Yes. So you have this nice dinner. And so there's still, you're still like, there've been a couple weird things, but you, you don't see like the major red flags at that point. Other than the, the car situation getting picked up or not getting picked up. Okay, fine. There's no cars. But now in hindsight, we're like, yeah, you know, if they can't even pick up their own people in, in yeah. normal 
fashion, something is up. So anyway, we finished dinner. We hitchhiked back to our place. Uh, that night was like that infamous storm. Our like roof was leaking and, you know, whatever. We were, again, in a house. So and in at least 45 minutes away, like the, the hitchhiking was quite a distance. So we're 45 minutes away from the yeah. actual venue. So we're, we're very separated from reality. Fast forward the next day. Again, we're hitchhiking to the venue. And now it's broad daylight. So we're like going to see it from the morning. And um, we arrived and we there's like a little hill. So you kind of get into the grounds and they have like a little hill that then goes down into like this valley of where all the tents and the festival is supposed to be. And right as we kind of hit that like top of the hill and I saw it for the first time, the the layout, and I could see, I couldn't see the details of, you know, the, the tents all messed up from the storm or whatever, but I could just see there's no luxurious anything in front of me. And I'm still at a distance and I don't have the best <laughs> eyesight either, but you could just tell there's nothing luxurious up ahead. And also the the way that it's, it was an old development. I guess they were trying to develop a hotel there. So it's all concrete. So it doesn't feel like a beach. It's right on the water. Right. Uh, it looks desolate. It looks desolate. And backtrack a second. So two weeks prior or something, I was at MoMA in New York. And um, they, like the Syrian war was just kind of starting out or kind of in the early years. And mm-hmm. so the MoMA had this exhibit where they had like a big, you know, they showcased a lot of what people like the refugees were going through. And one of the things that they had there was like a FEMA tent that you could walk into and touch and see like the real, you know, what like refugees are going through. And I kid you not, it was the same thing. So when we're going over the hill, I was just like, I had this like, that's the same tent. And so I look at my boss, I turn to him. It's not good to have a Syria reference yeah. in your music festival. So um, I look at my boss and I just said, I said something to him. I was like, this can't be it. Or like, this is, this is a mess. Whatever I said to him at the time. And he looks at me and, and this was the second that I was like, we're fucked. He looks me dead in the eyes. And, and this was like the Steve Jobs social distortion field or whatever they call it. Like he, he's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, this is awesome. This looks like some, like some like NASA space Mars, like, cool futuristic vibe and i was like yo he drank the kool-aid he's out he's done like i'm i'm the only one who sees what's right right like you feel all of a sudden like you're with an alien yeah like you like all of a sudden like you thought you were with a human I mean, you like cannot communicate because you're like i see like my eyes are open. yeah i was yeah. like and, and, wow. and people were paying like 10 15 grand to stay in these fema tents so the first, first, first ticket holders, like the people who really jumped into it without a lineup, without a location, without, I think even dates, like anything, literally just bought it based off of my good design on Instagram, paid, they got a good deal, actually. They paid like 700 bucks and they got like the whole package, like, which again, is not a good deal now, but like in hindsight, good deal yeah, in yeah. air quotes. I mean, it's like a $700 trip to the Bahamas that, you know, whatever. But totally. 700 bucks at the yeah, time, yeah. I thought it was crazy yeah. that they, they even priced it. It was like a pre-sale price. But then it went up to, yeah, like a few thousand, yeah. 10,000. And then uh, in the couple, the couple days or weeks before, they were really trying to pump up the, the pricing. And I think they made everything like sold out on purpose and, and only had like the, the quarter million dollar tickets where you got like a villa yeah, and a boat and whatever. Like 
that was only available because they were trying to like make some quick money at the end. Make money and limit people. Okay, so you're in this golf cart and you kind of realize like you probably you have this sinking feeling. But do you feel like in that moment you know like this isn't even going to happen no. or do you just think like wow people are going to be disappointed but there's going to be music like wh when do you think that you cross over being like this isn't even like happening so everybody was still talking pretty highly like it's going to happen at this point like my team and i mean not like more my boss was talking that way my like the people that were my level in the agency were i think we were pretty realistic to each other and like kind of went off on our own there wasn't anything for us to do. So we were just kind of like biding time. And then uh, the fire team definitely was talking like it was going to happen, but they were just scrambling because the storm kind of dispersed mattresses and whatever. Not that that made a difference at this point. Their stages weren't even ready. The sand wasn't obviously on the ground. And nothing was ready. It was, you know. Um, and then there was like a certain point in the day that they were like, let's distract let's just distract everybody let's because the buses are now starting to come in this this day um the flights the buses so they start rerouting them to this little restaurant that's like on a beach it was kind of fun honestly it was like it turned into like a micro party um they started handing out like casamigos bottles to everybody like a full bottle to every single person who entered the restaurant which i was like this is excessive but I was like, I'll take a bottle, you know, I was like, I don't even drink that much, but I'll, we'll take it for the house, you know, we'll party later. So me and all my friends, we all have like a bottle. I'm not really drinking it. We put it in our backpack for later. Everybody else at this party who was there for the festival is like, you know, thinks they're, they're going to party. So they're like, let's drink the whole fucking thing. So now everybody is in the sun eating like, you know, a little bit like burgers and stuff, but eventually the food runs out. Like the sun is setting, people are just now getting like trashed and are getting like anxious and kind of um, confused yeah. and you know kind of they want to get started with this thing. They're they're confused at why it's nightfall already and the festival hasn't begun. So you could start feeling the energy of the party went from this massive vibe to like a massive mm -hmm. anger, confusion, and nobody is there to answer. Yeah. And we're again, we're kind of now on the side. We're just sitting on a dock and playing with our drone and being really confused. We're just waiting for for the fire team to kind of message and us. People people at this party don't really know Nothing. people at this party don't really know you're affiliated. So you're not like getting questions or no. anything. You're just really like observing. Yeah, right? we're sober too, because okay. we were yeah. there to work. So we were on the side. Again, we're on this dock while everybody the restaurant has like a dock where people with a boat can come in and get lunch. So we're on the yeah. dock. We're we're just sitting there and again, it's beautiful. So we're just enjoying it. Um, but we can see people are like now climbing the restaurant. They're on the roof. People are just doing, you know, they're so drunk. And at one point when we finally got in touch with our boss and some fire people, they told us to come to the, to the, to the festival grounds. And once we got to the grounds, we realized everybody that arrived, put all their stuff into a massive uh, shipping container, all their suitcases. And one of our photographers that we flew in the next day, she was on one of these just generic buses. So she had to put her stuff on this bus. And now we're trying to get her stuff out of there so we can get her to our house, but she can't get her suitcases. And we're trying to give her, you know, reasoning, whatever. We don't even know. And the fire team had this like house that was actually built 
fully built house on the grounds. I forget the name of it. They had a name for this house. Mm -hmm. And that was like their command center. It was a really nice house, actually. So we go in the house. Everyone Mm -hmm. is freaking out. I mean, it's, it's like... I don't even know how to explain it, but people just running. Billy is like hiding. Billy like locked himself in a room to like focus. Um, Grant, <laughs> Grant, the CMO at the time, um, he's just like strung out. He's just like, I don't even know what to, to tell you, but everything's fine. <laughs> Nobody has answers. We're just sitting there. We're li- I'm literally just waiting. I have nothing to, I'm the social media guy, so I don't have content to take right now because it's a shit show. So I'm, I'm just waiting. But also at this point, it's such like a departure from champagne mm-hmm. at the hotel the other night. So that's a pretty fast turn. Like, yeah. so you're probably processing that like, fa- it's like as soon as guests start arriving, effectively, like no one from the fire team is probably seeming okay. Yeah. I don't know what they were dealing with because there were so many things to deal with. Um, but they knew that they had these like an angry mob at the restaurant and they now needed to figure out not only the restaurant or the angry mob, but also the festival and the, and then blink One Eight Two started tweeting that they're not coming and all these, like, it's just a domino effect. And there's, they're still trying to, to stitch it together and, and put out messages to, you know, online and, and to ticket holders that everything's fine, everything's happening. And it's all by the minute, you know? Did you get asked to participate in that because you were doing social media stuff or were they like kind of command centering that? And and then also or corollary, like how much were you try, like following along online? Was there an online narrative? I didn't yet? even have um, reception. So that was a big problem for me because if I wasn't <laughs> at the house where they were like their command center, I didn't have Wi-Fi. So I didn't I didn't get any information on what's happening online. Once in a while, my boss would get a text from the people in the New York office being like, are you guys okay? And he would just sweep it under the rug or not tell us what he was texting the team. But um, the fire team wanted me to post a bunch of stuff. And we kind of had to walk them back a few times being like, you don't want to say that. You don't need to just, just deal with your thing. Like, don't worry about Instagram right now. What kind of stuff were they were they trying to already do damage mitigation? Like they wanted to tweet positive things that or sorry, maybe it was both, Instagram, it was but like do positive yeah. posts basically try to change. Yeah, they were just yeah. trying to kind of control. Can you run us through some of the copy that they might have floated your way? Um, I would have to. It was all just basically things saying everything is still happening and it's all good. And we're we're excited to, to host everybody. And we're, you know, everything just sounded still as if they were putting out the messages. Kind of like smoothing yeah, it over. Yeah, but as if it was like the type of message that was supposed to come out at the, that hour, as if the successful festival was happening. You know, giving out public information to the people on the island and, and kind of giving these these messages of um, of updates of for festival goers and things like that, where to, you know, where to go and what to do. Um, at this point, I'm getting a little peckish. I'm trying to get some food. Um, but there's nowhere to eat or drink. And um, I forget who who told me, but there was a worker's tent for the people like putting together the festival. And it was still on the grounds, but it was just kind of like off to the side. And they told me, you know, you could just go eat with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I walked over to like where the construction workers are and whatever. And like I pick up like a little tray and I'm, you know, waiting in this line with everybody and everyone like, like the chef, 
and all the people sitting there like loved it that I was eating with them. They like cracking, they're like cracking jokes with me. And I was, I was super down. I didn't even care. Um, but you know, food's food. And so I'm getting the cheese sandwich. I'm getting like a little salad. And then actually this is one of my favorite parts of the story that kind of got swept under the rug as part of the cheese sandwich is there was like a, a birthday cake as like dessert, just like a generic chocolate, Mm. chocolate Mm. frosting sprinkles on top kind of cake. And she just would cut you a little square and give it to you on the same plate as like a dessert. And I was, you know, that, no one ever saw that photo, but the the chocolate cake thing is no. iconic. <laughs> Somehow the favorite, the, and and the fact that like it's so rare that a random cheese sandwich that you eat becomes like a famous like. Meme. Yeah, as I'm eating it, I'm not even understanding the <laughs> um, cultural ref- like relevance of it. You know, I'm just eat. I'm I'm just hungry. So <laughs> you just you didn't even take a photo of yours. You just fucking ate it like I a know. savage. I really I just scarfed it. I probably went even for a kidding. second. I was so hungry. There was. We're just in the sun all day, you know. <laughs> okay, so so th- uh, there's actually so much I want to cover. Can you try to pinpoint when it becomes clear, like everyone actually has to go home? Like, like it's n- there's no musicians playing. Mm-hmm. Like we know this lead in now, but it's like at this point you're still like going with the flow. Like it seems like it might happen. But that changes at some point. Yeah. So after the cheese sandwich, I just I'm still wasting time. I have nothing to do. My whole team is kind of walking around and just we have because we're not part of the angry mob. So we're not over there dealing with that. We're not in the fire teams like sphere because they have their own things to deal with. We're just there to take content. So there's no content to take. So we're just waiting and sitting. And I I was so (laughs) bored and. And then we found our CEO and we were talking to him about what, what do we do? And he goes, we're quitting. We're going to leave right now. So he, oh he's my gosh. basically. Okay, so, so him saying that is like the final. No. So he says this oh, okay. and <laughs> he says this to us, you know, he's got his own priorities. He has to keep his team also safe and, you know, take care of his employees yeah. So he's like, we're going to quit. I'm going to send you guys back to the house. That was like 45 minutes out. He goes, I'm going to stay here and try to save like basically Billy, save this whole thing and help. So there's like photos of Billy like standing on desks and like kind of talking to an angry crowd. <laughs> yeah. So before he did that, my boss, who's much more of a level headed guy, he was doing that. He was trying to really He's like a really good dude at the time. Like he, he really tried to just help whoever he could give any information. He had, he had nothing to offer either. He was just, a, but, but Billy was such like a, a hot mess that he couldn't even, and he's like 23, yeah. like this. And my boss was like, Function. you know, I'm like an adult. So he's trying to be the adult while Billy's just kind of like, <laughs> and eventually when Billy takes over, I don't know what my boss started doing but he put us on a car and like another hitchhiked car and um and got us out of there so we went back to the house and we're kind of blind to what was happening at this point and then around midnight something really late he finally shows up my boss shows up at the house and starts kind of telling us and he's like oh my god it's so bad it's so this he's really kind of you know almost shell-shocked He's like, you're not going to believe this. Like, you're not, you have no idea what actually happened after you guys left. And we 
we just we didn't we really didn't have a grasp of how bad you know because we didn't see the mob and we didn't we didn't see any of it at that point but we did get instructions to create like a little and the way we were posting on instagram was like per row at the time we weren't posting one square at a time we would post rows so every time you post it's got to be three three designs that was just the aesthetic and so we i don't have i have i could design something to update you know the public but I didn't actually have a way to upload anything because I don't have Wi-Fi. And I don't think we had hotspots at the time on my boss's phone, but he had a little bit of reception. So we had to kind of design a row um, without my computer. So we were on his phone using, I don't know, like a notes app or something, screenshotting a white background and filling the like. So we just basically did Mm. one white row with like text of like what happened. So he's basically mm-hmm. designing in his like word, like in a word editing app. It was very like MacGyver-esque. And then... And that, and that design was meant to tell people not to come anymore? It wasn't, like, was it like a final... It was, it was more okay. of... Yeah. There were some unforeseen things and, you know, we, do, we didn't expect... It, like yeah. very kind of diplomatic. It wasn't... It was still kind of pretending Is your like... your boss at this point... Does he have permission to do that from the fire yeah. team or is he kind of like, this is a moral issue? Like, I need to post I think it was this. both. I think he actually told them that we have to do this and they gave him carte blanche to do whatever okay. he feels fit. Um, okay. We didn't give too much information. Yeah. We kept it, again, very generic and very, um, you know, safe to make sure yeah. that it's the truth is out there, but it's still not the full truth. So we post it and I think there was actually a really funny tweet. Yeah. I think it was... I want to say it was DJ Tiesto or some massive DJ out there. He like responded to the tweet, which was actually iconic. And it was like, even in their failure, they were still like aesthetic or something like that, which I kind of, I kind of <laughs> love that. <laughs> uh, we still kept like the same font and whatever. So, so anyway, so we kind of quit and then we were stuck there for about a week. So this, this was a real Lord of the Flies moment. Yeah, we actually. Like the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, we had no food in the house either, and we had we had no idea what to do. We were we would go to like these grocery stores. They weren't grocery stores; they were more like provision stores that have food. That's you know, it's the the island didn't have much fresh stuff, so there's a right. lot of stuff that doesn't go bad in their stores. So we would get all these really random things and and just cook them on the spot because we couldn't refrigerate them. Um, I remember we ate a lot of Snickers and like, stupid stuff, but we we finally got you know, word about the regatta and we were just, we just, we hitchhiked to the regatta and started eating like local food and making friends with the locals and just did our own thing for the next couple of days and swam a lot and just kind of, yeah, we didn't get a lot of information. Again, we, we still were disconnected from the world. We had no Wi-Fi cell phone reception. So even until we got back to New York, like three days later, I didn't know what happened and I, and we never went, Oh, I missed the big point. So when my boss came back at midnight to tell us like what happened when he stayed back, he, he's, I will, I do say like as, as much as the, there was chaos, this guy really does have, I don't know if it's like the balls or the, like the, the vision or whatever you want to call it, but it's already midnight. The whole thing is done with everybody is like sleeping and he goes, we're going to go break in now. And we're going to go film a documentary. 
and we're looking at him like <laughs> like he's like this is an opportunity yeah and, and i looked at him just like why would you why are you uh, this is so dumb but that's gutsy let's go i guess i just i was did you guys do that yeah so we hitchhiked up yeah so we hitchhiked at like midnight or whatever and we um is that where some of that footage comes from? Yeah, if you saw some like night footage. I mean, okay, so it wasn't very successful, but um, we get there and there's like a security guard at the gate and we just tell the driver, again, it's just some random guy on like the road. It wasn't, you know, we just tell him, right? don't stop. Like when you get to the gate, just, just, just go. <laughs> and we're just going to flash our badges. Oh we're going to flash our badges out the window really quickly. But just keep driving. Don't let them stop you. And this poor guy, he just was like, okay. So we kind of did. And they like opened the gate for us. And we get in. Again, we go over that hill. We start going down. And it's like very eerie, you know. And people aren't there. People are sleeping in the tents, um, whatever was left. But they were, like the grounds were silent. So it was very eerie. And we kind of are, we turn the headlights off. And we're like creeping now. We're creeping down this like path. And we're just trying to get any footage that we can. And um, at one point, there was like the festival director, or I forget his his title. He commandeered like an ambulance, like an out of commission ambulance, or maybe it was in commission. I don't know. And it was it was literally the only vehicle. So this guy caught us, but he thought that we were just like lost. He didn't really realize our full intention. So when he mm. caught us, he was almost yeah. like, "Hey guys, like." everything good like let, let me take let me get you guys home you guys look like you're oh, lost like checking yeah in. and he was kind of this, just like mm-hmm. i think we told the guy who dropped us off to go home or i forget what happened with him but um our our little escapade got kind of wrapped up pretty quickly when that guy showed up at the ambulance and then he basically yeah <laughs> took us took us home in the ambulance <laughs> but we tried he took you okay okay your favorite quote for me from the documentary is saying um saying that you're like your child was satan <laughs> yeah <laughs> like something along those lines does that ring a bell yeah. to you um i want to rewind in a second of like the breadcrumbs that kind of lead us here back in new york but before that do you feel like you start processing while you're on the island like wow i marketed this thing like the marketing is arguably the the only success of the event like the marketing was mm-hmm. amazing like just <laughs> and then and then the event is like failing to live up to it. And so do you start processing that while you're there? Like, oh, I, I like market this thing and it it never is like not real, blah, blah, blah. Or do you feel like y- you really have to be home and like completely out of that context to even start processing Kind that? of both. There were moments, um, I guess I didn't realize the full scope of the disaster still on the yeah. island. I definitely, when I got back to New York, it was, I think, Sunday night. And when we showed up for work on Monday... We, we used to have like a like a full team meeting every Monday morning, um, and that one we skipped. It was like very awkward tension in the office. And I remember walking in, my boss was kind of in the meeting room, and I walked in and I go, I'd like, a debr- I'd like to debrief what just happened. Like, we need to talk about this. Um, and I was pretty shook up at that point because I kind of was getting messages at that point, and, you know, it was, it was starting to come back to me, and I just remember the only thing that really freaked me out was I was worried that somebody got like somebody died or somebody got really hurt or something bad yeah. happened. And, and I, re- 
Yeah, because who knows? Yeah, well, I didn't. I like the whole time we had no communication. So right, and also the internet didn't really have much. Like it, th- we weren't as online as we are these days. You know what I mean? It was like 2016 or something, which we were online, but it wasn't like Twitter was talking, but it still was not as much information that pours out of things today. Yeah. So I needed something. I was like, you must know more than I do. And he just looks at me and he goes, "Um, the agency lost over a million dollars on this. We don't have time for that. We have other clients to tend to just get back to work. And so I was really shook. I was still kind of like, I didn't even get that closure. I didn't get any information. I was, I was still kind of like Googling it myself. And, um, and it still didn't really hit me until like months later when like I started reading like the FBI is getting involved. And I was like, am I going to be, is the FBI going to talk to me? Like, what have I done? What is this thing? Why does it keep getting worse and worse and worse? And I was really, mm-hmm. it felt like the the walls were kind of caving in on me every day. And yeah, I didn't realize the full extent of it. I think until... I knew that that they were filming a documentary. Like my team was was still working on that documentary, the Netflix one, um, but they didn't include me. Like they didn't want me involved in it at all. And and what was your understanding at the time of why? No like, idea. W- at the time, how did you process it? Just like just confusion, confusion and also yeah. kind of. Did you at any point feel like you had to lawyer up? Like did did you start getting like your friends or family to? Yeah. So my cousin was, my cousin was, was, um, about to graduate as a lawyer. Um, so I, she was in New York and she came to the office, you know, I showed her how cool our office was and she was like all about us. And she was like, how cool I want to work here. And I was like, no, it's a, it's, it's not cool. We're not (laughs) having fun anymore. The fun is over. And um, we went to lunch, like an extended lunch. At this point, I was there for a few months and they were post-fire and they were kind of just not giving me any work. Um, and I was doing a lot of like, you know, I was one of the co-founders. Um, so, and I had equity. So I think my theory, and, I, and I've heard from kind of like a third party version of this story is that they just tried to bleed me out. I don't think they could have fired me um, or just mm. didn't have the backbone mm. to do it. So... I realized that they were just trying to bleed me out and I was sitting there. I'd sit on my computer and, and literally watch movies and like, as a fuck you, like on purpose, putting it on my, like my dual monitor. I'd have like my Bitcoin prices and my Netflix and just be like, you guys need help with anything? And they'd be like, no, we're good. Thanks. And they're like, everybody else is overworked and drowning and losing clients because they're overworked. And I'm like, here when you need it. And they're like, no, no, we're good. So I so I did talk to my my and cousin. And Firefest is the turning point. Just to be clear, like d- d- like meaning that you before Firefest, like you had a good working relationship mm-hmm. with these people. So like th- this moment, like is a real turn, mm-hmm. right? Like like it's a like office culture before you're like fully in the mix and everything, and then office culture after it's like this weird wall, right? Is yeah, that persona that non grata. Yeah, totally. I mean, they were all still hanging out. Everybody was yeah. still hanging out. I get no invites. I get no like clients. I'd get, I'd get no respect in the office or even like people looking at me. It was like people would walk by and not even give me eye contact, which I'm like, I literally... And what did you attribute? And at the time you didn't know why. I still don't really know why. I don't understand why I was the target of all this because I, I carried the agency on my back alone. Like Fire was our only client. So, and nobody helped me with it. I did everyone's yeah. job. And so I was, 
I felt a little disrespected. You know, I, I did, I kept the, the company afloat for months and nobody even saw through that. It's not my fault. They fucked it up. You know, I did, I did my job more than I used to sleep in the office like multiple times a week because I was working all night long and I'd get called at like 11 at night to go design something and have it ready by 8 a.m. And I'm like, I'm on it. I was a soldier. I like did. I, I really cared about this project. You mentioned that your boss, like the one who was there, seemed like a pretty solid dude. Like, did he, did you also like couldn't have a good dialogue with him? No, nobody. After? Nobody. Um, and he would lie to me, you know, he yeah. would tell me like, we don't have any work, so don't worry about it. Just keep like, you know, doing your thing. And I'm like, I, I see the other designers literally losing the clients because they can't keep up. And he would just lie to me. And so then I would see that yeah. on the calendar, the company calendar was open. So I would see like documentary meeting or whatever. And I was like, I know what you're doing. And they'd go in the back room and never invite me and, and invite all these people who weren't even part of the project. So I was like, why are you talking about my project? If you don't even know what happened, if you don't even have the assets, like, what is this about? So that was, that was, I think the turning point where I was like, you guys are clearly up to something. And if you're not including me in it, then what's the point? And that's when I quit. So after like six months, I used to sit there and just do nothing and just left. And, um, and so it's about six months after Firefest. Like, mm -hmm. but I knew the documentary was, yeah. was being worked on and it was still pissing me off that I wasn't, you know, getting any respect for my work or being involved in it. Um, and so when I left, I actually was like, I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of myself just like you guys took care of yourself. So I always worked on my personal laptop because we never, in the beginning, we never had the budget to buy everybody computers. So I always worked on my personal laptop. I signed up for every social account like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, whatever else we were doing. I was always using my personal email because we had so many, I had to sign up for so many accounts. Usually at like at Jerry Media, we always started sure. new, new Instagrams for different projects that I always had to like use multiple emails and multiple iPod, iPod um, touches. We had like many iPod touches that had like dozens of accounts logged in. So I was always using the social accounts on my personal device with my personal email and all the files were on my personal hard drive on my personal computer. So when I left, I just moved everything onto my hard drive, deleted it and quit through an email and just walked out. I didn't say bye to anybody. Um, I suspended every account. Like I didn't delete them, but I suspended them. So you can't find them when you search for them. Yeah. And I just was like, fuck you guys, basically. Like, you're not going to get my project. You're not going to profit off of my hard work. Like, this isn't going to be a sting. If you think you're going to have like this big second coming, like, sorry, party's over. And yeah. I just left and um, sent like a company-wide email. And so is that why you're in one documentary, but less prominent in the other? They have footage of me in the Netflix yeah. one, just because they had, there was one guy there that was always doing a vlog. And he actually has the only of like professional footage of fire, like Netflix licensed it. And you can see kind of like they, they erased his watermark on his videos. And that mm -hmm. was just part of his vlog. There's like a, a few parts in the Netflix one where the, he's, he's like live vlogging and I'm just in the background, like talking about something. So the Netflix one, I was never, um, never approved. And I actually like tried to 
tried to sue Netflix at one point, but that was too difficult. And I basically took everything offline, took all the hard drives. And when I read that Hulu was creating another documentary, I reached out to everybody in the article. I reached out to the producer, director, people at Billboard, CEO of Mike, and randomly like the Billboard CEO responded to my LinkedIn within like 30 minutes. And then he's like, we need to get on a phone call like right now. 10 minutes later, I'm on a phone call with him. 10 minutes later, he's got the director on the phone. Like five days later, they flew me out to New York to, to be in the documentary. And I just basically handed them the hard drive got my lawyer to approve the contract that they would, you know, indemnify me if anything happened. I was like, I want Hulu to indemnify yeah. me at all costs. Um, looking back now, yeah. I kind of was naive. I should have got a lot more like money. I didn't get any money. I just was, I was literally just trying to tell the truth. I was like trying to just like correct my career, yeah. career path. Get it off your chest. Uh, so when they realized they had no footage, they started to call, call me all the time. I would get phone calls and FaceTimes and emails and texts from them being so friendly. And like, I just knew, I just knew. Yeah. But I pretended I was like, I have no idea where it all went. So this is like, you know, most jobs that one takes don't end in um, documentaries, multiple documentaries and someone and someone going to prison and then a cultural moment where we all know what cheese sandwich you're talking about. (laughs) And so this is a very unique life experience. This is a very dramatic year plus of your life. But but if you can rewind, give us approximately how many months before Firefest D-Day actually happens where you start working on it. Like, is it three months ahead, six months ahead, a year ahead? Um, and then any breadcrumbs you remember where in hindsight, because hindsight is 2020, you feel like that was weird I wish I asked more questions or, or any of those types of things, um, you know, in that lead up before you even go to the Pumas. Yeah, the lead up, I had a few moments that I realized um, there was some weird stuff going on. We we had a client at the time that was um, like a mattress company, you know, like there was like a moment where there was a ton of mattress companies like Oscar and whatever. So we had one of, one of those competitors and we remember talking to them about just like logistics of of shipping their mattresses like internationally if a client wanted one. And so when we were in meetings with them talking about logistics of how are they bringing mattresses to the island, that was a weird one. They didn't have a really good answer for us. And we we remember looking at them being like, are you sure that's that's going to work? Because we have this client who says, and they're like, yeah, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Another time that was weird to me was like they would show me rendering like a like a rendering of the, of the festival. They didn't actually have footage, so they showed me a rendering of like the beach and like people at the beach partying and whatever, and you know all the all the stages and all these like structures that they built. And I used to work in an in interior design firm, and um, I remember the scrutiny of designing even a, a a rendering and putting fake people into a rendering, and how detailed. That had to be like, everybody had to be for, to scale. You can't just like put some guy in the background who's just a little bit bigger. And the shadows on them had to be correct. Like the lighting had to be correct. So I'm looking at this and there's like a guy with like rollerblades in the ocean. You could see his rollerblade <laughs> in the water. And like, 
<laughs> different <laughs> different shadows like that sounds accurate i mean yeah like that's he was what probably you do. there though to be fair to them yeah i hope he was yeah <laughs> and and you see like different shadows and different angles and like different sizes and i'm like who did this rendering like where and like the buildings didn't look to scale and nothing so but that was me i only understood that so when i called that out nobody cared people were like it looks beautiful. It looks awesome. Right. And also that's like a designer. It's like a designer noticing details. Like people aren't necessarily like, oh, this is a red flag. What about financial? Like obviously famously now we all know that there's some Ponzi scheme aspects like Billy, like continually coming up with new schemes and new sources of money, uh, kind of like, you know, begging Peter to pay Paul behavior of like mm-hmm. money sucked from one place, pay someone, like keep everything going. Is there any evidence of money problems like was your yeah. agency being paid were you being paid like I, or anything where you're like this financially like i'm a, like there's concerns about any of the finances yeah there were a few moments in the beginning that um felt a little odd and like the amount of money that they needed and i remember they would say oh we need another blah 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 and we would internally be like how are they going to get that and then poof, a day later, they just had $5 million. And that would just keep happening. And and that conversation just kept happening, even though different vendors were quitting, like Vayner Media was originally doing the the ad, the media buying, and they weren't free, like getting paid or something. And so Vayner quit. And instead of my boss looking mm. at Vayner of all the agencies, like we're like a micro, you know, agency compared he mm-hmm. looked at that as an opportunity to take on more business. And so he told the fire team that we do mm-hmm. media buying, which we didn't, and I've never done it. So for so right after that phone call where he he got that business, <laughs> you know, he he puts on the phone and he goes, All right, everybody go into like a phone booth and watch every single YouTube video on media buying and circle back at the end of the day oh, and we're gonna like gosh. teach each other what we learned. So I kind of understood it. I still felt very confused by it, but I was like, okay, we're doing this. And my first media buy was for, I think it was like a million dollars. So they, <laughs> <laughs> so they put in, they put in their credit totally card. Normal, totally yeah, normal. Yeah. Totally normal for, you know, first time, but you know, just got to dive into the deep end. So, so right. they give us their credit card or whatever information, and it's it's connected to Facebook media uh, media manager or whatever. And I, at the time, as a graphic designer, was trying to sell my own prints on my Instagram. So I have two separate accounts on the media side. Um, and at one point, and so my credit card's also attached. And at one point, um, the Fire credit card bounced or whatever didn't didn't register and. $1,000 got taken out of my personal account. And I was like, I can't afford that. I live in New York on this like meme, like right. paycheck. Like I work for a meme page, so I'm not making anything. <laughs> a meme page. Yeah. Like it was not a good, like I took a, yeah. a huge pay cut to work there. So, and I lived in Manhattan and I was like, I yeah. can't afford $1,000 being taken out by these guys. And right. And I told my boss and he's like, it's fine. It's fine. Just they're good. They're good for their money. And again, one of their, one of the guys who was like at the head of fire was a childhood friend of Elliot who started fuck Jerry. So the conversation would always be like, 
no, that's our boy. Like he's good for his for the money. And I'm like, mm. our boy isn't a, like a way of paying the bills. So after they took that thousand dollars out of my account, my boss just walked over to my desk and just put like a thousand dollars cash and was like, just forget it. Let's move on. And so that, you know, I moved on. But then the credit card bounced again. And and I was like, listen, I had a vacation coming up. I, I told you months ago that I'm going to Spain for a week to see my best friend. I'm going to go and take a real vacation because I've been sleeping in the office. I've been just like not seeing my friends or dating or doing anything for the last couple months. If they don't pay, I'm going to enjoy my vacation. If they pay, I will get online while I'm in Spain and keep working. And he was like, you know what? Fine. It was like the first time that he like accepted that there was something kind of off. It was a little weird. And I was telling him, I was like, listen, I've been I've been a freelance designer for like so many years. This is the number one red flag that you stop working. You hold the hostage. You you like lock them out of their own accounts. You just say, you know, that's what you know, you haven't paid for the product, basically. So he let me go. I'm on my vacation. I'm having finally some good time. And literally 48 hours before I leave. It's it's like late at night. Me and my friend just got back. We're like drunk at his apartment. We just went out partying. And I get this phone call or text or whatever. And he's like, we're back on. I need this, 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 this. And I'm just like, I looked at my friend. I'm like, I'm going to have to design. How many now. months before the event would you say this is roughly like, I'm just trying to place it like, oh, it's five months out or it's like one month out, you know, at when you're, when their card is bouncing. The card, the first time it bounced and took a thousand from me, I think was like, two months before and then the the second one when i was in spain was okay. about a month before and then the 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 um the mattress situation and the rendering were also i think two months before because before that we really had nothing to see nothing to see we didn't hear about like logistics it was very much just conversations about like social media and like you know just having fun and the meetings would just be like and then two months ahead, there's like a render of a dude with like rollerblades yeah. in the ocean. <laughs> I have them somewhere. It's and you're such a good like, rendering. Well, I guess it's happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and 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 you were the orange square, right? Like you that was your brainchild. Because that's kind of what made this thing take off uh culturally before it yeah. took off culturally for imploding. <laughs> yeah, before the before the the cheese sandwich, the real uh thing was the t- the orange tile. So I, I I honestly don't remember like the exact moment that I kind of came up with it, but I was like, let's use the the colors that they already have. Like orange is super powerful. The, they had like this dark blue and I was like, that's not going to stop anything. Like I didn't change the orange. It was their orange. It was actually the same orange that Instagram has. It's like a default color orange when you change the text. I wanted something that other mm-hmm. people can make or participate in without having to have like Illustrator and be like, you know, Photoshop experts. So yeah. it all worked. It all lined up pretty easily. And, and um, yeah, we just kind of created this tile and pitched it to them. And again, I don't remember the full conversation, but I, it, just, it just worked. and Everybody was into it, I guess. And we just did it. Again, it was such like a not important part of the timeline that now it's funny that it has become so epic. Like I could never have expected it to take off. You tell me if this is accurate, but even for you at the time, like the fact that the whole team, like between you and the other agency and then the fire team and everyone, the fact that you could get all these 
really famous people like to post this thing that that you came up with and post this orange square and like use the hashtag and promote the event that had to somehow subdue the fears you had like mm -hmm. you know the bounce credit card and everything it still seemed like the social proof it just seems like the one story yeah. the drumbeat of the story is that somehow social proof keeps the train on the tracks despite the fact that there's no train, like there's nothing in the train. Like it's like, despite all the facts, like the social proof just keeps it barreling forward. Do you feel like even yourself, like that that was somewhat convincing? Like, oh wow, like I, I can imagine coming up with the orange squares and then seeing like really famous people posting it and stuff must be motivating kind of. You know, it's funny cause I'm like very not impressed by people like that even today. Like back in the day, I've never been like, oh, models, influencers. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not the kind of person who pays any and I'm from LA, so I like grew up around celebrities and I just never thought of them as like somebody sure. who puts their stamp on something and I'm like, that's it. And I remember the time that wasn't what convinced me. Like what actually was going on in my head was that, again, I'm a designer. This is just another client and this is how agency works. And I've been a freelancer. I've dealt with tons of bullshit and everybody trying not to pay you and trying to scheme you and change things and give you their opinion. So all that I could think about was this is just another client. There's nothing weird here. And and that's... Yeah. And I'll just do my best Yeah. Work I literally them. looked at it as just a client paid us. So that's how official it is. You know what I mean? Let's do our yeah. best work. Has your perspective changed? Yeah. Now I'm like, who are you? Where's your money coming from? Do you have investors? Do you have a budget? <laughs> like... <laughs> I, I can show you emails. I literally have zero fucks. I literally emailed this guy yesterday who called. He, somebody reached out to me on my website for a, a festival that's happening next year. And I'm like, oh, really? A festival? <laughs> You're like, I'm kind of sensitive about. No, I'm, not, I'm just I'm just like, I, I don't I don't like I'm not scared anymore. Like I used to be as a designer, really. It was really hard for me to talk about money right. and, and actually. And I also didn't realize that I need to. Yeah figure out where the money's coming from now i straight up i'm like who who are you right like i ask all these questions and people probably think i'm like grilling them for no reason and i take a lot of precaution in general you know i get sometimes i still own the the fire festival instagram and all the social accounts but they're all two-factor authenticated and i'm like i constantly get texts and emails people trying to get in constantly so i'm aware that people out sure. there People out there are still, and I get like weird, fishy clientele still. People think I'm just going to be down to do more scam. Like as if I went into this, like I wanted to do oh, a scam in the first place. So so I still get a lot of weird, like fishing type of outreach. So insane. And so I really take a lot of precaution in general. Like I got somebody reached out to me a few weeks ago on LinkedIn for some big project that she claims was this, you know, whatever. And she sent me a PDF, but it wasn't accessible just by opening or previewing it. I had to like enter some website and and log in through my LinkedIn. And I'm like, no. And I, and I straight up told mm -hmm. her, I was like, hey, do you have like, no. <laughs> can you just send me like a JPEG on LinkedIn or like a preview of your deck, like or even a, P a regular right. PDF for security purposes? I don't click external links on my you know right. my work computer. So I just, right. I take tons of precaution these days. I make sure I vet everybody and, you know, I have really good contracts and a great lawyer and everything is, is pretty bulletproof. But I will say that I it still slips through the cracks. Like I still, I still trip up 
every once in a while, somebody still can can trick me. Like it's I'm not bulletproof, and I have been tricked st- since. Um, so, do you think any of this is Billy now that he's out of prison and and starting this new thing? <laughs> um, I hope. And a second and follow up question: What do you think of Billy and his new thing? Yeah, I, I, I honestly like it's weird because he hasn't reached out to me, and I'm like, and he talks about all the marketing as if, and now he's like trying to pitch companies like he's the marketing genius, and I was like, first of all, I've never seen you in a marketing right. meeting. A you strange. literally were never in a meeting. You were always off squirreling off in your little office. So I'm like, why are you now a marketing guy? He's capitalizing. On, he's trying to capitalize on the fact that the marketing was the successful piece. Yeah, like and I he gets said, and so yeah, that. Yeah, is that a little annoying? It's funny. It's like it's almost sad in a way because he's trying to capitalize on fame that mm-hmm. is over. Like five years ago, when I had my fifteen minutes of fame, right. that's when he could have rode that wave. But obviously, he was in jail, and now that he's out, he's like trying to just squeeze some like fame out of it or like some attention. And and so I'm like, yeah, it's kind of sad, right? Like I'm also I don't talk about Fire Festival like it's my only thing you know i've moved on people obviously ask me about it i'm like cool to talk about it but it's not my thing anymore whereas he is riding that wave as if it's his only thing so you know whatever do do you and so you you run just to be really clear you run an agency now what's the name of that just like kind of bring us up to like current like you run an agency obviously you're way careful much more careful about your clients I'm assuming you've only had the one client that's been in prison, but I don't know. You can fill us in if there's some updates. Um, but 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 just no, no just... other clients in prison. <laughs> luckily, is there anything else you're approaching differently about your career or personal life? Because I think it's impossible to uh, to say that this this isn't just a professional experience. This is a super like it affects you as a person. Mm-hmm. So, is there anything about your personal or professional life that is just kind of forever altered based on this life experience? Um, so yeah, I started um, after fire. Um, when I left six months later, I kind of went and just I went to Thailand to like relax. I was like, I'm gonna go to like learn how to dive and kind of like connect with nature and like you know find myself. So I'm out there and really trying to not do anything social. And then as I'm chilling, I get this this like email or whatever from the founder of uh, or the founder's son of uh, Planet Hollywood. And also one of like my friends who is um, Blade, like one of the first employees at Blade, the like um, like the Uber helicopter company in New York, mm-hmm. and both really wanted me to come help them with like little things. Well, Planet Hollywood wanted like a massive rebirth of the brand, and I'm like, I'm not, I don't do this anymore, guys. Like, I don't know what you want from me, and. They both kind of pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. And they're like, no, you can. You can't do it. Help us. This is And I'm like, I have no idea how to do this on my own. I've never done this on my own. But then I started thinking more and more. I was like, what did we actually do at Fuck Jerry like that I can't do? And I was like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I did it all. I did it all by myself. You know, totally. I, I, like all of fire was me. Like not even my boss was involved. I literally wore 50 hats and. And some, I even took on the Vayner Media like stuff, you know. So all of a sudden, I I thought about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm an agency." And I literally went on Delaware website, you know, started an LLC, and I just created yeah. a bunch of like proposals and faked it till I made it. I mean, obviously, he knew I wasn't really an agency, but he was like, "You could do it." He kind of 
the the founder son of Planet Hollywood really believed in me and I didn't. So that was cool. And um, since 2017, I've owned the Atomic Milk Group, which is the agency or Atomic Milk in short. And what I basically do now is um, creative direction, um, social strategy, and I bring on influencers and do like influencer marketing for different brands. I don't manage influencers, but I'll bring on um, influencers to to like add them into campaigns. Mm-hmm. Kind of what I did for Fire, just in a more like ethical and correct format. And professionally, it's it's become. It's it's become you know um, my bread and butter, and everybody kind of knows me for it. So that's been great. Um, but socially, I think it has had some like weird effects on me, where like I don't trust as often as I used to. But a friend could still fuck you, still get you. Okay, to kind of close us out, something I would love your personal perspective on, and it relates back to how you met mm-hmm. Maddie, which is that. Somehow, no matter how successful and amazing the marketing uh, that you machine that you helped build that got everyone to sign up for this thing, it's still minorly eclipsed by the cultural moment that is just the failure of the thing. Like somehow a cultural moment sticks with us, like the cheese sandwich and, and just the horror. And I'm curious, many things have failed. Like many things fail spectacularly, but not all of them are so entertaining mm-hmm. to the world. Like what about this made it so sticky, so entertaining? Like people were just like, no matter how much content there was, there was two documentaries people would have watched four. Like, like it's just like, no matter how much content there was, people mm-hmm. wanted more. Why do you think that is? So it's funny because I was sitting yesterday with a friend um, who was in South Africa and she went to a music festival and said it, failed just as miserably and she was talking about how it was out in the middle of the desert and like it started raining and so it turned into like mud and all the tents got muddy and rainy and and then the second day got canceled and like no one got refunds or whatever and i was like huh i never heard of it but when i now that i i run the instagram for fire i get tagged all the time i mean it's been years and i still get tagged in festivals that are failing like all around the world every week month whatever (laughs) and no one hears about them or talks about them and i even know of another friend of mine who was in my position he was the the creative director behind another music festival that also failed spectacularly and he didn't get paid and everybody is owed money by this guy and he just kind of like got away with it because and nobody made a documentary where my friend was you know, featured. He's literally my my equal in that. And right. I was like, sorry. But <laughs> I think what it really comes down to is first of all, America is, you know, we are living in a reality show at this point. And so the whole world looks at us and 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 the production that we put behind everything, even like Trump or whatever, like everything is a production. So there's so much to see in like this like cinematic way that it almost feels like you could just keep watching and it's not just like a little iPhone video that some guy in South Africa was filming. There's really like a ton of of mm-hmm. of really good footage and and people tweeting and l- going live and whatever. And so mm-hmm. we are we are cinematic about our failure 
And also, I think the biggest thing is that we, and I've realized this now through a few things, is everybody loves to see like rich people failing, basically. So I think there's, and like models who are not mm -hmm. perfect mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and everyone getting screwed as if it's like some vindictive, you know, and that's what we want. Like, from, I don't watch reality shows, but people have kind of been, it's like a parlor people trip. talk to yeah. me after and they're like, yeah, I love to watch the Kardashians because I watch it and I feel better about myself because they're such losers or whatever. And, th and they say that about like multiple mm. reality shows. Yeah. Like I watch this to feel better about myself because these people are failing for me. I even used to get people DMing me on the fire account telling me I watched I watched the fire festival documentary every single night before I go to bed because it calms me down. <laughs> it calm I'm not even kidding. <laughs> There's like multiple people who watch this regularly um, for multiple reasons. Like one person who is an event producer used to message me and be like, I watch this because it makes me feel like I'm doing a good job. And they're like, I'm so good at my yeah. job. And other people yeah. are like, I watch this because, you know, I get to just witness these like rich people failing or whatever. And and like it's it feels so good to watch that. And whatever all these like, honestly, it's kind of scary and fucked up the way that people think i don't find any of that shit entertaining i you know what i mean like if somebody really died i would be still really fucked in my i would i don't even know oh my gosh thankfully, yeah, thankfully. so I, th I think people really looked at fire as this like um it's like you know the same way that the trump thing is still a part of our our you know daily we're like, he's just constantly failing and we're constantly reporting on it and constantly there's video and leaked, leaked like evidence. And you can't look away. Yeah, you can't mm -hmm. look away. But there's just so much behind it. And, and it becomes a, um, and it also has, um, to your point about like people tagging it in all sorts of other failures, festivals or otherwise, it's like we need sometimes the prime example, like because Billy went to prison, because a bunch of millennials like paid thousands of dollars, like they didn't, they didn't just lose $500, they lose $5,000. Yeah. Like, you know, like the, the magnitude of the failure and, and then the, you're right. The fact there's so much footage and it's like mildly comedic, the footage, at least like not being there. It's like, we got our example, like we got, and it is mm -hmm. sadistic kind of. Um, and then Maddie, you as an artist will manage to take that and and realize that people like people are glad they weren't there but they do feel like they missed out like it's like how can both things exist mm -hmm. like people don't want to be there they want to make fun of the people who are there but then they also want to be like but i kind of missed out on something <laughs> like isn't that a twisted thing too i still see, get messages from people that want me to get them in touch with billy for his like quote unquote fire 2.0 like people are messaging me thinking that i'm in I'm part of it. And wow. they're like, I will do anything to be part of the team. Like, I think this is going to be sick. And like, you see it in his comments. People are like, go, Billy, go. You're going to do it. It's going to be sick this time. And I'm like, what are we doing as a society where we are stoked for people who are criminals and failures? And like the people who are actually doing good are like, you know, it's like the movie Look Up or whatever with Leonardo DiCaprio, where it's like, we really are just putting yeah. these idiots yeah. on a pedestal and it's just it blows my mind i'm still like what what is going on i i've found that it's a structural issue with the way our social media algorithms algorithms are programmed in in such that only rage bait stimulates conversation mm -hmm. which then shows up and that becomes the cultural zeitgeist yeah
I, I, I think that's really interesting insight, Maddie, because basically before my time, when like people watched three television, uh, you know, uh, stations and had a few radio stations and they all like had these shared experiences in a way for something to rise up over the noise to become a shared experience. Like, like something like Firefest is like had to be so colossal of a failure that all of a sudden, like, you know, everyone of a certain age is like, at work the next morning talking about it like we as humans we crave shared experiences in this case it almost has to be rage inducing to like get there i I can't even believe that like me bringing pigs into beverly hills and a ton of sand and then getting shut down by the police and then reaching out to you was the the impetus for this conversation in which i learned a ton about your character i learned more about the backstory i learned about some red flags that I, as an individual working in a creative field, should be paying attention to as I'm interacting with clients and other folks. So thanks for being vulnerable and um, thanks for trusting me to, for sure. you know, to, to have a conversation. Yeah. Thanks for not trying to screw me at the time where everyone was trying to get a piece of me, you know. <laughs> we really appreciate you sharing so candidly and sharing so many details it really helps to understand more of what was happening and what it felt like compared to just like the the post narrative and i think i'll just end with a little joke which is billy may have done i think it was four years in prison but maddie didn't you do 100 hours of community <laughs> service too <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's let's talk about the real yeah. victim here yeah. yeah it turns out you turns out you're not allowed to bring live livestock into beverly hills without uh permits and i was able to do 100 hours of bathroom cleaning at a church that's not a small amount of hours i just want to say yeah that is a lot for that of- that's crazy yeah. Like, was it worth it? Like, was it worth it? You got to meet Orr and everything. Like, was the 100 hours? I don't know. Do, you paid the you paid I for it. I did create a walking habit where I'd walk from mid-city to downtown and I practiced my Spanish and I got to listen to podcasts mm-hmm. during my 100 hours of community service. So it was it was fine. Nice. Everybody wins or everybody loses. I don't <laughs> everybody know. Everybody wins. Not exactly Billy, maybe, but <laughs> something like that. Orrin, thank you so much for your candor um, and for sharing everything today. And uh, just, uh, I think everyone will love listening to this. Thank you so much. Hope so. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to In the Arena. If you enjoyed the conversation, please like, subscribe, and share by leaving us a review and telling everyone you know. And please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at InTheArena underscore pod. We'd love your suggestions on who else has an intense experience to share. 